God bless you. You can be seated this morning. I am so thankful again to see you and to worship the Lord with all of you this morning and those of you watching online as well. I don't normally do what I'm going to do, but I feel like this is something I'm supposed to do and to say right now. This is one of my favorite songs, Calvary Covers It All. I sing this frequently in my quiet time. I had a disturbing dream this week. I didn't share this with the first service this morning because I just wasn't prompted to. I didn't even think about it. But while we were singing that, just a sense, share this, share this, share this. And a dream came back to me that I had this week in my sleep. And in my sleep, I was carrying, and there are no ugly babies. I'm just going to say that I have never met an ugly baby. I've never dedicated an ugly baby. None of my babies were ugly. And um, I was carrying the ugliest baby I'd ever seen in my life. The only problem was this baby had an old man's face and an old man's body, and it was a baby, and I was carrying that baby. And it was a mean baby, and it was a screaming baby, and you'd get it pacified, and I would try to do something, and it would start screaming. And I woke up from that dream, and I said, Lord, what in the world was that all about? I've never seen an ugly baby, and that was a hideous baby. Now, maybe you've seen an ugly baby, but I went back to sleep and hadn't thought any more about it until just now, and some of you have an old, ugly sin that is haunting you. Somebody listening or here, some habit, some sin, something haunting you that's screaming at you, and God wants you to know, Calvary covers it all. The shame is gone. The past is gone. And I am so glad to get that ugly baby out of my mind this morning and to share with you, Calvary covers it all. Amen? So if, if I missed it, I missed it. That's on me. And, you know, that's not a thus saith the Lord, but I just, that kept coming back when we were singing it just now. There's nothing between you and Jesus that the blood of Christ can't cover, and we should keep short accounts of the Lord. So I hope that encourages somebody. Well, Pastor Corey did a wonderful job opening up this series the first Sunday of the year. He was talking about, in our series on life goals, he was talking about what's it all about. You know, we live our life for the glory of God. Well, the last week, I tried to talk to you for a while about setting goals and why we set goals and why those are important. And today, I would like to talk to you about how to enjoy life, how to enjoy your family, how to enjoy your ministry and your marriage and what that has to do with life goals, but also how to enjoy your job, your vocation, the career that God gave you. And I didn't get to finish everything in the first service, and I hopefully I'll get to this morning. And um, those that, you know, were not here, for, in the, those of you that are not here in the first service, you might want to share this message with your friends and not the first service message. Carl Sandburg, speaking about babies, he said, a baby is God's opinion that life should go on. He said, with everything in his day that we had created and invented as human beings, everything from television to cargo jets and huge cargo ships and computers, he would be amazed at what he saw today that we've been able to do with health care and with communications. But Carl Sandburg says, nothing that man has ever invented compares to a baby. And I think those of us that are parents or those of us that are just fascinated with human life altogether, we would agree. We have just spent a wonderful season adoring God for sending Christ as the infant baby Jesus to us. I had a man who recently asked me to come and visit with him. 
and pray with him. He's been uber successful. He has a great business, a professional business. He employs over 100 people. He has everything that you could imagine that life could afford you. His contacts, his network, his worth, his family, a beautiful, beautiful family. He told me, he said, Pastor, my family came here. My father came here with nothing, and God helped us to establish this business. He gives all the credit and the glory to God, but he says, Pastor, I'm not happy, and I'm not... I'm just miserable with all that, you know, I have why. And so I began to probe him with some questions, and we began to pray together. And I'm convinced there are a lot more people out there like him, that maybe you've achieved some success in life, or maybe you've not achieved what you wanted to achieve in life, and you're not enjoying life. And yet the promise of God, don't miss this, the promise of God is not just heaven, but that God would give us abundant life and that we would enjoy it now and in eternity. I have been with enough persecuted Christians overseas. I have sat in huts. I have sat in abandoned buildings. I have met in secret places and worshiped and broken bread and taken communion with those believers to know that it's not worldly wealth that makes you happy, but being with them in the presence of God and seeing them love Jesus and their joy, even in their sufferings, that they still are enjoying their lives more than many of us in the United States or in North America who are affluent compared to most of the rest of the world. As Sandberg goes on, he talks about the simplicity of a baby and yet the complication of a baby. There's nothing more complicated when you think about how it can see, when you think about its feelings, its emotions. You know, many of you young mothers, you laid your hands upon your tummies and you spoke life into that baby. You knew the baby already had life, but you spoke encouragement. Many of you fathers, you've, you've laid your head next to your wife's tummy and you've prayed and you've talked to your child and you've breathed life into your child because you wanted it to know even in that gestational period while it's growing, that that baby is loved and welcomed into this world. And when it comes into the world, its needs are fairly simple. Feed me, clean me, keep me dry, keep me satisfied, and I'll be happy. And if I'm not, I'll let you know. And once we get things taken care of, I'll be happy again. However, as life goes on, life gets complicated. Can you say amen to that? Life gets complicated. And it's some, it's happened somewhere around the junior high years, those middle school years, where one day your child feels like they're all grown up, and the next day they want to play with their toys again. And it can be confusing to a, to a young boy or to a young girl as the hormones begin to kick in and life begins to change. I'm telling you, I have loved those junior hires, and I always knew as a youth pastor, if I could reach the junior hires, I could keep them for Jesus Christ. And so I always strove hard to work and to love those junior high kids and reach them for Jesus Christ. But for you and I, as life goes on, if we're not careful, we make life complicated. Life is simple, the Bible says. I want you to look with me at Ecclesiastes 7.29. God made us plain and simple, but we have made ourselves complicated. 
When you read about the Garden of Eden and how God created man and woman and put them in that garden to love one another, to care for one another, to have a home, it's Edenic. That's the word we use. It's paradise. That's another word we use. People who go to Hawaii tell me it's paradise. And they go to Hawaii, but my friends who pastor and minister in Hawaii tell me it's not all paradise in Hawaii because there are human beings there who wrestle with the same problems that you and I wrestle with. But God says he made life plain and simple. That doesn't mean he made you a simpleton. That doesn't mean that you're foolish. But life was made for us to have fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. And in the garden, the one thing for Adam and Eve was fellowship with God and fellowship with each other. It was all about relationships. That was life in the garden. Everything was provided for them. They were given a life purpose in the garden. And so my question to people, to my friend, for instance, is what's the one thing? What's the one thing that really matters in life for you? What's the most important thing? What is the one thing that you're willing to live and to die for? You've heard it said often, until you know what you're willing to die for, you don't know what you're willing to live for. D.L. Moody, one of my heroes of yesterday, was a great evangelist. He traveled the world on trains and old-fashioned ships. Presidents wanted to hear him preach. The Queen of England invited him to England. She wanted him to preach to the, to the nation of England. But D.L. Moody could not read or write. He was actually an illiterate man. One of the great problems still facing our society today is illiteracy. And yet, the Holy Spirit helped him learn how to read his Bible. And D.L. Moody, as he began to read the Bible and see the good news in it, he couldn't understand why it wasn't being shared in churches. He couldn't understand why it wasn't being shared on the marketplace and on the street corners. And D.L. Moody began to preach wherever they would give him an opportunity to preach. And soon, this simple man of God was traveling the world sharing the good news of Jesus Christ because he knew the one thing. Listen to what he said. I suppose they say of me, he's a radical. He's a fanatic. He only has one idea. He goes, well, it's a glorious idea, and I would rather have that said of me than be a man of 10,000 ideas and do nothing with them. He was consumed with the one thing that gave passion, gave drive to his life, and that was that lost people mattered to God, and if he was going to glorify God, he wanted to reach them with the good news of Jesus Christ. I take from that and from what I'm going to read to you next that life is all about relationships. Brothers and sisters, life is about relationships. Relationships with God, relationships with one another that God gave us. Relationships with our family as he gave that original command to Adam and Eve <clears throat> to be fruitful and to multiply. And the next verse of Scripture, I want you to look at me because this is very important. I want everybody to look at me in the eye right now. Because what I'm about to say is one of the most important things I'm going to say this morning. How we treat other people is what we think of God. How I treat you, how I respect you or disrespect you, how I judge you or trust you, that is how we treat God. And you say, Pastor, how can you be so sure? Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 22 and verse 37. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first greatest commandment, and the second, what's that next word, is 
equally, underline that, circle that in your outline, is equally important. Jesus is saying how we treat others reflects what we think of God. The second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. So if we're going to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, here's how we do that. Number one, we love with passion. We love with passion. In other words, we love with a fire. There is, there is a fiery desire in our hearts for a relationship with God. There's a fiery desire in our relationship with our marriage and our children. A fiery desire for our relationship with our church and our neighbors. Listen to what Martin Luther said. The love towards one's spouse burns like a fire and seeks nothing but the person of the spouse. It says, I desire you yourself, and I want you entirely and not at all. Look at that word. I want you entirely, but not at all. Can you imagine, those of you who know me, those of you who are watching online and that you know Becky and I, can you imagine if I said to Becky, I'm going to love you 364 days of the year. Matter of fact, excuse me, 365 days of the year. I'm going to love you 365 days of the year. But every fourth year, there's a leap year where we get one extra day, and I'm going to go find me somebody else to love on that one extra day. How many of you know that if I said that to Becky, I would not still be alive today? How many of you know if I said that to Becky, I still would, I wouldn't have a marriage? Because Becky is saying to me, and I am saying to Becky, I want you entirely or I don't want you at all. And that's loving with a passion, and that's loving with the fire that God gives to us. Listen to Psalms, Song of Solomon, chapter 8 and verse 6, a beautiful love poem about a relationship between a husband and wife. Always keep me in your heart and wear this bracelet to remember me by. The passion of love bursting into flame is more powerful than death and stronger than the grave. I think that's worth reading again and maybe reading it a little more poetically. Always keep me in your heart and wear this bracelet to remember me by. The passion of love, get it, bursting into flame. Can you get that in your mind right now? The passion of love bursting into flame is more powerful than death and stronger than the grave. I shared with you last week that I wear this wedding band. This is my wedding band that Becky gave me, and this outer one is the wedding band that my father, my mother gave my father. And you know, I'm so thankful to look back and know that my father loved my mother passionately and was always faithful to his marriage vows and loved her with all of his heart. And our, my sisters and I, we talk about the affection and the fondness and the love that our parents, they never were afraid to show their love and to be affectionate with one another. It was a healthy home to grow up in. And when I remember that, it's the kind of man that I wanted to be to Becky. It's the kind of father I wanted to be to our four children. But when I read this verse, I can't help but think about God's love for us. I can't help but think about the passion of love that burst into flame as God sent His Son at Christmas and as Jesus was willing to come and to suffer and to die for our sins. And as we held that bread and we held that cup in our hands this morning, we saw the passion of God's love burst into flame as He gave His life for us at Calvary, as He was resurrected from the dead on Resurrection Sunday and when the power of the Holy Spirit descended upon the church with tongues of fire. Friends, I submit to you this morning, God loves you with a passion that you've never dreamed of before. 
And if that word that I spoke this morning was for you, you need to drop that ugly baby, that ugly memory. You need to drop that ugly pain this morning. And maybe the enemy has brought that up to you in the middle of this message already. You need to drop that and run to Calvary because the love of God covers all of our sins. And it's not only stronger than death, it's stronger than the grave. God has given us eternal life in Christ Jesus. And it is so important that we grasp hold of that. And so I want to ask you this question before we move on this morning. What are you hungry for in life? What do you desire more than, what's that one thing in your life that you are hungry for? Number two, we love with conversation. We love with conversation. And I want you to think of two words right here, content and connection. Content and connection. I want you to, maybe you want to write those out in the side of your outline. If you're taking notes online and you have the app, you can just type that in. Content and connection. You see, I'm afraid that we've made the mistake of thinking that if we use our cell phones and we're texting to cell phones, we're having conversation, we're sharing, they may help us to grow and it may help us to have more facts. We're sharing bits of information, we're sharing drops of information, but conversation is more than content. Conversation is looking eye to eye. It's seeing those bodily expressions. It's seeing that smile, the frown. It's seeing the worried pearls of the brow. It's seeing how someone shifts in their chair. Conversation is when two people are close together and they're growing in relationship. One of the events that I helped sponsor that I'm so proud of in my, in, in my past life before coming to Michigan was we sponsored at the University of Georgia in Athens. We sponsored, with, along with our college ministry there, an event called Face to Face because of some racial tension. And we wanted to be sure in the body of Christ that we were developing healthy racial relationships. And so we plastered the campus with Face to Face. We, we got this big hall that was bigger than this beautiful sanctuary we have here at Woodland. And it was packed out with people wanting to get in that night as people came together because they were interested in how to have a conversation. And what we did was not deride the problems. We didn't criticize the problems. What we focused upon was how that everybody matters to God and what the gospel is all about and how we have relationships. I want you to see something really important from Luke chapter 3. This is very important. As a matter of fact, I don't think I've ever caught it until I caught it this week, just reading my Bible and praying and reflecting over this message. One day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was being baptized. Now, we have baptism here. You see people come in and out of this tank. But notice, while people are being baptized, Jesus is in the water, but as he was praying, as he was praying, there were some people just being baptized. But as Jesus was in that water, he was having conversation, content, and face-to-face. He was praying, and the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly beloved son, and you bring me great 
joy. Beloved, I submit to you that when you have an open conversation with God and you open your heart to Him, you pray the Scriptures back to Him, you worship Him using the Psalms, you pray the promises of God back to Him. That's content. As you open yourself to God, the heavens will open to you and you will have fellowship with Christ. One of those old songs of the church that still bless me is friendship with Jesus, fellowship divine. Oh, white sweet communion. If you know the rest of the word, say it with me. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is a friend of mine. You mean I can claim friendship with Jesus? Absolutely. And maybe that's why the apostles said to the Lord, Lord, teach us to pray. So you want to have conversation. You want to love passionately. You want to love with conversation. But you want to love intelligently as well. You want to learn to understand the other person. I tell you, I can read Becky's face. I can't read her mind. She still surprises me. I can read her words, and I can tell you anytime Becky says fine, it's not fine. I'm a, she's not a liar, but anytime she says fine, it ain't fine. And you know, I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. I have learned to interpret those fines. I have learned to interpret that when Becky says okay, that the decision is not nearly as important as the relationship is. And I need not to get an okay, but I need to get, oh, honey, that excites me too. Oh, honey, I believe in that. And Becky has learned that if I say, fine, you know, okay, she's learned that the relationship is so much more important than the decision. And a lot of people go for the decision rather than going for the relationship. God isn't just looking for decisions today. There are hands lifted in decisions all the time. There are people that sign decision cards. It's not just a decision, but it's learning to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and learn to love intelligently as well. Because God loves you with a consuming passion. He loves me with a consuming passion. But I want you to see something else really powerful here. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 3, in Him, in Jesus, lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Would you circle that in your outline? All the treasures. All the treasures. Friends, in Christ lies all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I know so many people in our community right here in Downriver, they do not have a college education. They do not have a graduate degree. They are not probably thought of by other people as being the most influential, but they have become uber successful. And they're not worried about fame. They're not worried about... They have taken their relationship with God. They have taken... what I was having breakfast. I couldn't share this in the first service. I was having breakfast before the COVID happened. Well, the man who used to go to our church has moved away, and we were sitting down having breakfast together, and I said, you know, tell me your life story. Tell me how you became so successful. And he began to tell me about the hardships of his youth. He began to tell me about what he all he had been through, and he says, Pastor, I didn't grow up in a home like you grew up in. I didn't grow up being encouraged. I didn't grow up being affirmed. He said, Pastor, nobody ever taught me about prayer. Nobody ever taught me about marriage. He said, I got married way too young. He said, I didn't even get an education. 
education, and yet he learned that one thing when he gave his life to Jesus. He learned that one thing that he was supposed to do in life, and he followed that one thing and determined to take the skills, the talents that God had given him, and he built a business, and he prospered, and he put other people to work. Beloved, I want you to know you're not going to find all the wisdoms and the treasures at the universities of Georgia or Michigan or Michigan State, but you are going to find them in Jesus Christ today. Hey, God says he will make the diligent as we look at. He will make the diligent prosper and be successful. Can you say amen to that? That's the thing. Love him intelligently. Richard Loveless says this in the book, a wonderful book I recommend to you, The Dynamics of Spiritual Life. He says, in our quest for the fullness of the Spirit, we have sometimes forgotten that a Spirit-filled intelligence is one of the most powerful weapons for pulling down satanic strongholds. Now, Richard Loveless is a wise and a highly educated man. But here's what I want you to know. He is saying to you, that your spirit-filled intelligence is stronger in the fight and the battle against the powers of darkness than all the wisdom and all the power that people who deny Christ have put together. And it is so important that as believers, we, we don't get weird, we don't get fanatical. Let me give you an illustration from my own life. As most of you know, I've had many surgeries in life. I grew up crippled. And I can't tell you how many times, even here, when surgeons have come to me, and even surgeons and doctors have come to me, and they've sat down and shut the door, sometimes with machines running, tubes running in and out of me. And I'm seeing one's face right now. He's a friend, someone I I care about deeply. And he came in, and the lights were dim because I was in quite a bit of pain. And he said, Pastor, can I talk to you? Do, you? do you feel okay to talk? And I said, of course. And he said, we have problems here in the hospital we don't know how to solve. When you face something as a pastor, when you face something that you don't know the answer to or you feel like there's a presence of evil, how do you handle that? And I smiled, and I said, come closer. And he leaned, and I know he was expecting some profound wisdom. If I'm going to tell you something profound, I'll tell you it's profound because you won't recognize it's profound unless I tell you that it's profound. I found that when I try to be profound, nobody gets it. But he expected me to be profound. And I looked at him, and I go, Jesus, help. And he started laughing and leaned back, and I'm just being honest with you. When I faced those times right after the service, it wasn't dealing with anything evil, but right after the first service, I was praying with people this morning. I didn't have an answer, but we made that prayer to Jesus. Jesus, help, because the name of Jesus is more powerful than all the weapons of hell put together. It's your faith in God. It's your trust in God. And what what Loveless is saying here, that a spirit-filled intelligence is one of the most powerful strongholds for pulling down satanic power weapons for pulling down satanic strongholds. Beloved, know who you are in Jesus Christ. You are loved by a God who's passionate about you, who loves you intelligently, and you are loved by a God that you are that one thing that matters to him. And every time you look at that cross, you remember the cross, the resurrection, and the day of Pentecost. God's love burst into flame for you. Well, second thing, 
if you want to enjoy life, then you've got to understand life is time. Life is time. What is your life? Circle that again in your outline. And this afternoon, you need to go home and answer that question. What is my life? What is the one thing that matters? What am I living for? What am I trying to gain? What am I trying to do? What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. He's not saying he's against the business, but he's saying, pray, seek the face of God. As I set my life goals every year, as Becky and I set our goals, we just prayerfully get in the presence of the Lord. We say, God, guide our thinking. You have told us that you will work in us not only to will, but to do your good pleasure. God will give us the motivation. He will give us the guidance. And so we, we take our goals and we look at them. We compare them with the scriptures. And if you need help with that, call your small group leader. Call one of the pastors here at the church. You know, if you need help, just let me know. We'll, we'll send you some helps that you can look at online. If you're praying about a vocation, if you're praying about marriage, if you're praying about ministry. God's Word informs every area of your life. Look at what the Apostle Paul said. This one was known as the Lion of God. He said, make the most of every opportunity. It literally means buy back the opportunities, purchase the opportunities. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. What's that one thing? What are you willing to live for? What are you willing to die for? We were looking for our first home. We ended up building a house. But I remember, and Becky and I had a chuckle this week, because we look at houses totally different. Becky looks at a house, and it's all about the feeling. Does it feel right? Does the neighborhood feel right? And I look at a house totally different, and I think you men understand what I'm talking about. I walk into the house, I don't get a feeling at all. It's either right or it's not right. You know, it's, do the, are the cabinets hung right? Are the floors, is the foundation? But Becky's looking for that feeling, you know? And I, I've come to understand that. I've come to appreciate that. I have come to trust that. Remember, the relationship is more important than the decision. If you're sitting with your friends, or if you're sitting with your family, if you're sitting with a loved one this morning, turn to them and say, the relationship is more important than the decision. Just do that right now. The relationship is more important than the decision. So we never found the house that felt right, so we built a house that felt right. We built a house that looked right. And our, our first house, it wasn't very large. It was 1,700 square foot. It was on an acre and a quarter of land, and we built it uh, next to a national forest, and we had a little barn put on it, and we were so excited for our first house as we built that house, and the feeling was there. Everything was done right. Here's what I want you to understand. Over that whole decision, we bathed it in fasting. We bathed it in prayer. We walked the property in prayer. We prayed over every contractor. We prayed over our banker. Our banker came to know Jesus Christ. Our banker came to know. It was the most wonderful experience. And I remember our contractor saying to me, he said, if the two of you have ever fought, you're going to fight now while we're building this house. We went to the Lord scared to death. We were going to fight building this house. This is just what we thought God God wanted. God gave me an idea. I really say this. I believe God, nobody else had ever told me this. 
God gave me that. I've given this to every couple who's built a house. Those that have followed my instructions have come back and thanked me. Those that haven't followed my instructions have come back and says, I wish I had listened to you. That was, I made all the decisions outside. She made all the decisions inside. And you know what? Why did you make that? Because the feeling mattered to her. I did not know what those are. The painter called me one day and says, I've got nine coats of paint on this wall, and your wife is still not satisfied. Say it with me again. The relationship is more important than the decision. I said to the painter, you paint that wall a dozen times as she tells you to paint that wall. He said, it's your money. And he painted the wall until Becky was satisfied. The wallpaper hanger called one day and says, your wife is impossible to work for. My wife is a wonderful woman. Don't take this wrong. She just knows how she wants things. Say it again with me. The relationship is more important than the decision. Well, I couldn't get anything done, so Becky called the contractor. He fired the wallpaper hanger. Every wallpaper hanger feared God and feared Becky from then on. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. You have got in relationships to learn to trust one another and not judge one another. You have got to learn in your relationship to trust God and not judge God. There was one servant that judged God, and he said, you're a hard taskmaster. You reap where you don't plant. Well, that's just not true when it comes to farming. And yet some people misjudge God the same way. What's the one thing God's called you to do? Let me take you through some steps for that, and we'll close. Number one, diligently plan to be proactive so that you're free to worship, to work, and to play. What are your priorities? If you're going to accomplish that one thing that God created you to do, what are your priorities in life? You need to identify your areas. Last week, I shared with you, I have five roles in life. I use a P to define them. I'm a person, I'm a partner, or I'm a husband to Becky. I'm a parent, a father, and a grandfather. I'm also a pastor, but I'm also a pilgrim. Those are my five roles in life, and I can't carry those five separate glasses. They all come together in one overall arching purpose in my life. I know what that is. We wrote that down over 40 years ago, and we have been faithful to pursue that. And so you prioritize around those goals. The Bible says in Proverbs 21 and verse 5, listen, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. Read that out loud with me. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. So if you'll plan proactively for those goals, God will bless the work of your hands. Proverbs 3, verse 5, instead of judging God, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. My father modeled this for me. This is the scripture he wanted on his headstone. This is the scripture that when I go to visit his grave in Georgia, I think about my father's life in acknowledging the scripture. Number two, you've got to make some investments in your life goals. With all the possibilities of how to spend your time, with all the possibilities of how to spend your money, with all the possibilities that you're going to pursue in life, you have got to schedule time, not only for work, because 
work will consume it all. You've got to schedule time for family. You've got to schedule time for worship. You've got to schedule time to learn. You've got to schedule time for play and renewal. We know if you work more than 50 hours a week that you begin to work like somebody that's intoxicated. We know that if you multitask, you're not as effective as if you accomplish one thing. And we know that if you don't treat other people like they matter and treat them with love and respect, that they're going to treat you the same way. If we know these things, why don't we invest in that? I have tried my life. I had to learn this, but I have tried to outserve my wife in loving her and caring for her. I've tried to outserve my children. I've tried to outserve my congregations that I have pastored in life. I have tried in every season of life to be both the husband, the father, and the pastor. I don't say that to brag, but what I'm saying is you have to invest in those areas. It's why we ask you, don't just volunteer at Woodland, but have a place where you serve in the community. We're not here just to work and take money out of the community. We want to make Downriver a better place because Woodland Church is here. That's what God has called us to do. And for those of you that maybe you're not parents and you're like Becky and I now, you're empty nesters, then it's important to understand this. Love other parents, support other parents, pray for them, be willing to take care of their children so they can have a date night whenever that time comes that we can all go back out. Without an oxen, the Bible says in Proverbs 14, 4, without an oxen, a stable stays clean, but you need a strong ox for a large harvest. I understand this well, because as I begin to get better, one of the first things my daddy do is had me take care of the barn. You know, and I understood, and my daddy would say this sometimes, we'd be out there where the cow was, and I would be shoveling, our cows were, and he'd go, son, without an ox, the barn is clean. And a clean barn for people around here is just people who've got a place where they want to get together with family and have a party. But where I come from, a barn meant that you were investing in the home and in the land you were building. And there was a world of difference between the barnyard and the house yard world of difference. And then be motivated. Some of you are dealing with incredible stress right now because of the COVID virus. Some of you are overwhelmed with your work. Some of you may be struggling with your health. Some of you may be ill-equipped. But let me tell you another form of stress, and the book of Proverbs is clear about this, and laziness is one of the biggest forms of stress that I know of. Oversleeping is stressful. Not keeping your word is stressful. And I'm not trying to be harsh, but you increase your problems in life. The Bible says that slothfulness and laziness is akin to a thief in your life. Look at what the Ecclesiastes says. When the clouds are full of water, it rains. When the wind blows down a tree, it lies where it falls. Don't sit there watching the wind. Do your own work. Don't stare at the clouds. Get on with your life. Just as you'll never understand the mystery of life forming in a pregnant woman, so you'll never understand the mystery at work and all that God does. Go to work in the morning and stick to it until evening without watching the clock. You never know from moment to moment how your work will turn out in the end. So say, Pastor, if, if I'm at that place where I'm stressed and I've lost my motivation in life, what do I do? Number one, do what David did. Encourage yourself in the Lord. If you feel overwhelmed, just today, sometimes after this service, 
Or if you even want to stay and come and kneel at this altar when we dismiss in just a minute. And honey, if you'll come on up while I get ready to close. You can spend time, but just worship the Lord. Nobody's going to get close to you because of the COVID. You can be right here alone. If you would like to be prayed for, I'll be happy to pray for you. But come and encourage yourself in the Lord. If you're overwhelmed at work and you're stressed at work, maybe it's time to go to your boss and just ask for a break. Just say, I need some time to regroup. I need some time to pull away. I need some time to refresh and reflect. Americans do not take their vacation time that they're given. When we worked in Europe, those five years in Europe, Europeans took seriously their vacation time. And whole families would gather together to celebrate. When we were working in Argentina, five years in Argentina, even though those folks were not blessed with the abundance we had, families would get together and they would take breaks. And they seemed to really enjoy their jobs. Of course, everybody always wants to come to America because America holds the promise to the movies of success and power and money. And I'm very patriotic. I love this country we live in. But if you let the American dream consume you, it will make a slave of you rather than set you free. The gospel will set you free, and God will prosper you. Maybe you just need to open up and talk with someone, a pastor, your small group leader, a trusted, mature Christian friend, and say, I've lost my mojo. I've lost my drive. I've lost my momentum in life. And the most important thing is, I would take that content of my heart and I would open up my heart to God in prayer. David did. That's why he encouraged himself in the Lord and the windows of heaven opened upon David. Plan the seasons of your life. They're all seasons. We had a wonderful season of getting started. We had a wonderful season of raising our children. It was great. Our lives are so different now. Our lives are so very, very different now. I was talking with one of the elderly men in our church. None of the men that are here this morning, so don't think, look around and go, I wonder who he's talking to. I was talking to one of the elderly men in our church. I said, tell me what it's going to be like when I get in my 80s and as I approach 90. He said, Pastor, life's going to be good for you because you've been making the right decisions right now. I said, talk to me about marriage and intimacy if God allows Becky and I to live that long. He told me the funniest thing. He said, Pastor, you ever heard the story about the two old men? They were walking along and they found a talking frog. And I knew what he was going to say, and I go, tell me. He goes, these two old men picked up a talking frog. And the frog said to the man that picked him up, he says, kiss me. The frog says, kiss me, and I'll turn into a beautiful princess. The man put the frog in his pocket, and they just kept walking along. Finally, his friend said to him, why ain't you going to kiss the frog? 
He goes, well, at my age, it's more fun to have a talking frog than it is to have a beautiful princess. You plan for the seasons of your life. Becky and I were talking about this week's week. Ecclesiastes, Solomon goes, you know, the windows are getting dim. The choppers, they don't work like they used to. I mean, that's just how he describes it. And it's the seasons of life. But he says, this is what I've learned in life. To enjoy life. To enjoy those that God has given to you. And to enjoy God who created you. Because finally, if you'll stand with me, life is accountable. Would you stand? Life is accountable. You're going to give an account. I'm going to give an accounting to God for every sermon I've preached, for every song we've sang. I'm going to give an accounting to God for my words, my deeds, my thoughts, all of that. And so be wise. Everything you were taught can be put into a few words. Respect and obey God. This is what life is all about. God will judge everything we do, even what's done in secret, whether good or bad. Can I ask you, don't judge God. Trust God. Don't judge your spouse. Trust your spouse. If your spouse hasn't proven to be trustworthy, we want to help you in your relationship here at Woodland. Trust the children, or trust God that gave you the children. You can raise that rebellious teenager. You can raise that son or that daughter. That child that God has given to you is a trust that God has put into your hands. We've got a lot of COVID babies coming at Woodland. Trust God. And if you trust God, and you do what His Word says, you're going to hear the words we all want to hear. Well done. 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 Thou good and faithful servant. And why am I good? Because the righteousness of Christ has been given to you and me. Can you say amen? Let's bow our heads for prayer. I love you so much, Lord. I take my stand on this and this alone. That Christ came into this world to save sinners. And I am the biggest one of them all. And that Calvary has covered it all. And that my sin and shame don't matter anymore. Because Calvary covered it all. And if you're watching online this morning while every head here is still bowed and every eye closed, would you trust Jesus instead of judging Jesus this morning? Would you ask him into your heart? Would you trust that God loves you so much? That's why he sent his son. You're the reason. And we judge God by rejecting God. We judge God by saying, this is not time. God, you don't know the time. But we trust God when we say what the Word says, now is the time, now is the day for salvation. 
And if you'll just pray something like this, say, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you that your love, your passion for me burst into flame. And I give my heart to you as much as I know how. I ask you, forgive me of my sins and come into my life. For it's in your name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Pastor Corey's going to come and he's going to tell you about something we'll send to help you as you get started in your walk with Christ. If you prayed that prayer with Pastor, we have this little book for you that we'd love to give to you today. And if you're watching online and you prayed that prayer, we'd love to give you this book as well. If you can just email us at office at woodland.church and just let us know you prayed that prayer. We'll send this to you free of charge and, and uh, love to help you. And it'll help you with your next steps and your journey in your faith. And if you pray that prayer here, just stop by one of our tables as you're exiting and just say, you know, can I pick up that book? And we'd be glad to give it to you. Don't forget as you're leaving today to, to give, just place your offering into the baskets there along with that communication card that you filled out for us. Just drop it in there as well. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week.